Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, This shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. I should start by saying that I've been blessed with an oversupply, and I only need about 15 to 20 minutes from start to finish for pumping, and that's about 10 minutes of actual pump time and five minutes of getting set up and then reset to get back to work. I have one session in the morning and I ended up not taking another session on my second maternity leave and pumped prior to my lunch being over. When I came back from leave after my first child, my manager didn't even let me get settled in before asking me to move my afternoon pump break at the end of the day. And if I didn't move it, I should see another patient with basically no staff at that time. She told me to pump until I dried up and delivered an overall negative connotation to breastfeeding. I stood my ground and kept my pump slots when I needed them as previously scheduled. I went so far as ensuring that I was protected by labor laws. Several months later, my colleague announced her pregnancy. My manager, I think, got a quick congratulations out before she turned to me and said, you better keep your legs crossed because we can't have both of you out at the same time. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is a bit different than usual. I wanted to give women this space to talk about how America is failing mothers. And I had an outpouring of mothers reaching out to share their experience. When it comes to motherhood in America, it does seem that we are working against the grain and not with it. Whether we talk about the lack of maternity leave, the lack of health insurance options and significant financial burden after birth, the infant and maternal mortality rates, the disproportionate rates in which black women and women of color suffer from complications when compared to white women, lack of childcare options, and the significant cost of childcare, or just the overall stress of maintaining a career with children or staying home full-time with children. It's all incredibly difficult. In the next two episodes, several mothers from across the US will share their own personal journeys. My goal is to bring light to these very real issues that face mothers in America today, because the more we talk about the issues, the more we are able to change them going forward and create a better life for our own children. 
Never underestimate the power of women, and especially women who team together for positive change. Let's get started. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, Lindsay. My name is Maureen Garrett, and I'm a therapist and a mental health therapist in the state of Washington. And thank you so much for drawing attention to these really, really important issues that affect every woman I know (laughs) and all of my clients. I think about all of these through really three different lenses as a mental health therapist and as a mom and also as a small business owner who deals with insurance both for contractors or employees and then for ourselves because we're small business owners. So we have to buy our own and all of it is really messed up. So there's a lot of different lenses and stories I could look at this through, but I think I'm going to go with two. The, f- the first one I wanted to talk about was my birth of my second son and maternity leave for him. So um, at that time, I was a, a therapist, a counselor, um, licensed counselor in the state of Washington in private practice. So I was with a group practice, but as a contractor, which means I did not have health insurance through that group practice. And my husband was in grad school. So he was in his last semester of grad school. Our timing was surprising. Uh, My second son just came when he came. And so, yeah, it was, he was born in March 20, March 15th, 2017. And so at that time, yeah, my husband was in his last semester of grad school. I was in private practice and I, because of the circumstance, I was working quite a bit, but also we had, um, I was the breadwinner. My husband was just working part time and we, and my husband was doing the bulk of our childcare for our three year old at the time. We actually qualified for state health insurance. So that was really, really helpful. And I feel like it worked like it's supposed to work in helping out families providing coverage when you're just not making a lot of money. And so his birth was actually free, which was super helpful or was covered. I should say it wasn't free, but um, was covered by our state health insurance. But I did not have access to a single day or dime towards paid maternity leave. And so it was extremely stressful. I already had a three-year-old at home. Um, My husband was graduating grad school and I was the breadwinner. And so I took four weeks off total. And then the benefit of being in private practice was that it was flexible. And so I started going back uh, after that. And I wanted to go much more slowly than I did, but just really wasn't an option. And so a month after I had my second kiddo, I was trying to breastfeed, trying to work. And it's such a interesting thing to be a mental health professional and to see so clearly that you're not able to take care of your own mental health needs because of the financial constraints and because of just the reality of how these systems are set up. And so it was really, really hard. And I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have had some paid maternity leave where I could have focused on being with my newborn and being with my three-year-old and trying to focus on breastfeeding. My older son is another story, but both breastfeeding was difficult with both of my kids. 
I was able to breastfeed, but having to pump while trying to work um, and, and all of the things that go with that were just very, very hard. And so it was really difficult. Washington state has since passed legislation to offer some paid maternity leave, medical leave for people who are needing it in as entrepreneurs or self-employed or in situations like I was in. And so I'm really, really grateful that Washington is taking steps in that direction. I've had colleagues now be able to access that and just see what a difference it makes for it to not be extremely stressful as a small business owner or an entrepreneur to take maternity leave and to be able to take a decent amount of time versus having to scramble and start seeing clients way, way before you probably should because you're in a situation where financially you have to and you're choosing between being able to pay your bills or being home with your son or child, whatever, kiddo, so newborn. Anyway, one question you asked in the email was, how do you think America could solve these problems? And there's so many different things. There's obviously a lot of problems and probably a lot of solutions needed. But I did want to say it's been really positive to be in Washington State, um, to have lived through the difficulty of giving birth under the circumstances that I did without any paid maternity leave, the stress of that as a small business owner, and then to see this uh, legislation passed in Washington where colleagues and friends do have better. It's still not enough in my opinion, but it's better. They have some support. They have some coverage for their time off. So you can be a small business owner and have access to some paid maternity leave, which is so, so positive. And it's made, it definitely has made a difference in the length of time that friends have been able to take off after they give birth and the circumstances around uh, how they're able to focus on their newborn and their new family versus being very, very stressed out about how it's going to impact their finances and for how long and all of those pieces. So yay, Washington State. I hope other states follow suit and I hope Washington does more. But it's it's really positive, in my opinion, to see that happen and to even witness that, to have been in the situation I was in and then to see how positively it's impacted therapists and private practice that I know who have been able to have support in that way also, because of this kind of perspective of like a, being a small business owner, a mental health professional, and a mom, there are, it was hard to narrow down. I could talk about probably any of these for way longer than anybody ever wants to listen. But if you need any more stories or any other anecdotes or thoughts around affordable childcare, that one certainly has directly impacted us, or just anecdotally what I've seen from my clients who are primarily women around how these structures lead us to internalize shame and lead us to feel like failures and often just feel like we can't do it when really the cards are stacked against us from the start and how difficult and how frequently I see women with anxiety and depression depression symptoms that are just struggling because of some of these structural issues, or at least in part because of them. And so happy to talk more about that. Also, because we're small business owners, we personally just have terrible insurance. We pay a lot of money a month. We have a crazy high deductible. Not a lot is covered. It's just not great. Like it's such a broken system and so difficult to be as a small business owner to not have great options personally. So that's another fast, so many different things. So if you need anything else, please reach out. I'm happy to talk more about those. I'm just happy to share about 
the maternity coverage with my second son. And thank you again for the work that you're doing. I think it's super important. And I hope at the minimum, it helps women not feel alone and know that many, many, maybe even most women are struggling to feel like they can pursue the jobs and careers that they want to and also support their families and be with their kiddos. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard pieces. So thanks. Bye. Hi, Lindsay. I am leaving you a message to talk about some of the postpartum period and employer issues. So the first topic I'm going to cover is being treated unfairly due to a need to pump. And um, to give some background on myself, I am a PA working in a rural area with two small children. So the story there for the need to pump, I should start by saying that I've been blessed with an oversupply and I only need about 15 to 20 minutes from start to finish for pumping. And that's about 10 minutes of actual pump time and five minutes of getting set up and then reset to get back to work. I have one session in the morning and I ended up not taking another session on my second maternity leave and pump prior to my lunch being over. When I came back from leave after my first child, my manager didn't even let me get settled in before asking me to move my afternoon pump break at the end of the day. And if I didn't move it, I should see another patient with basically no staff at that time. She told me to pump until I dried up and delivered an overall negative connotation to breastfeeding. I stood my ground and kept my pump slots when I needed them as previously scheduled. I went so far as ensuring that I was protected by labor laws. Several months later, my colleague announced her pregnancy. My manager, I think, got a quick congratulations out before she turned to me and said, you better keep your legs crossed because we can't have both of you out at the same time. Eventually, I asked for a confidential meeting with HR regarding this manager, and I was met with, well, did you tell her what she said was inappropriate? I didn't think that I had to tell someone in an administrative position what was appropriate, but here we are. It should be noted that she also has several children. After all, I should know my place in healthcare. I'm there to make them money, I guess. So anyway, uh, here's another story from when I was on my second maternity leave. A new physician had been hired while I was out on leave and I saw the writing on the wall that they would try to move my patients to him in an effort to make him stay at our rural hospital. I applied to another open position in another department while on leave and I got the position. It was a much more lucrative specialty and I was excited for a new challenge. Five days before I was to start, the physician that I was going to train with backed out of the offer due to a personal health crisis and would not allow me to train with his colleagues. I assumed I would go back to my old apartment, but my former supervising physician wouldn't let me due to them having given my patients to the new physician. They gave me the option of applying for a job that no one else had wanted or being let go. When talking to administration, I told them I had a job when I left for maternity leave and I should have one upon returning, and they had nothing to say to that. I consulted with a lawyer, but he recommended that I refrain from going up against the hospital system as I have a lot of career left and would likely only get one year's salary out of the lawsuit and would be blackballed thereafter. My husband was working a lot at the time, so I was home with my three-month-old and toddler and essentially being a single parent, all while trying to search for new jobs and wondering if I had a job to come back to around the holidays. 
They did find me a new department, but I learned a valuable lesson. My loyalty is to my patients only, as I have learned that my organization believes me to be expendable. That has allowed me to experience some freedom from the drama that tends to run rampant in healthcare at times. Let me think. So you also asked if I have met others in the same position that you were in. And not exactly, but my organization did try to fire another provider due to them saying she couldn't take FMLA intermittently while she was undergoing chemo treatments. I didn't get to answer the how do you think America could fix this particular issue in regards to the maternity leave and things like that. So I was once told by a friend who's from Norway how I was so grateful to have 12 weeks of fully paid maternity leave that all I had to do was use about eight days of PTO for 100% pay the whole time. And she was shocked that I was so grateful because she automatically gets a year of maternity leave and the father is also mandated to take a stretch of time off as well for bonding. So first, one of the things in the U.S. that I think we could do is that we just need mandated paid maternity leave and that should be a part of your benefits package. And secondly, we need childcare discounts that are actually meaningful and don't translate to discount childcare. There needs to be reform in daycare costs as well as increase in pay for childcare workers. And thirdly, we need more normalization of postpartum support networks. What I mean by this is that we need more lactation support in the outpatient setting. We need avenues for which moms get the time to have a medical professional sit down with them and actually talk to them about whether they have been experiencing postpartum rage, any OCD-like tendencies, intrusive thoughts, etc., to determine whether counseling or medication intervention or both are needed. I don't really think that the, gosh, I think it's a 10-question piece of paper that you fill out and give back to the receptionist who can see your answers if they wanted to is really capturing what happens to a mom postpartum. It took seven weeks and talking to a friend to allow myself to consider starting Zoloft after my second child. I know that I for sure had PPA following my first child. And after my second, I was noticing that I was really reacting out of proportion to my toddler who, you know, was just throwing toys at the wall or something. I mean, something that toddlers do, you know, and I just yelled at, I remember yelling at him, just snapping. And I was just thinking like, gosh, that was like a really big reaction to something small and completely appropriate for his age. Obviously, no, you don't want him throwing toys at the wall, but just make a correction rather than yell. And so after that, I just felt that I wasn't being the best mom that I could be. And so I decided to try out the Zoloft and it was really life-changing and I wish I had started it sooner. The other thing that I noticed was, you know, when we start 
started thinking of trying to conceive our second child, I made it my mission to improve my experience overall in the postpartum period. I became a CLC so that I could provide a bit of my own breastfeeding support. When I switched to a new specialty, I met with pelvic floor PT and talked about ways that we could join forces with my sports medicine background and CLC certification to help prepare women for vaginal delivery and recovery or C-section delivery and recovery, as well as ensuring that they don't develop neck, shoulder, back pain from breastfeeding, as well as treating incontinence and constipation. And you know, the list goes on there. So I just think we really lack in the postpartum period. And I know you're passionate about this too, Lindsay. And from a healthcare perspective, I just feel like there's just so much room for improvement, financially speaking, and just caring for the true whole person, the whole mother. So yeah, I think that's it for now. Thanks for doing this. I can't wait to hear about the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Life doesn't come with a manual, and navigating it can be really stressful and lonely at times. Whether it's a career change, becoming a new parent, navigating relationships, you name it. These challenges can be tough. Therapists are trained to help you manage challenging emotions and build productive coping skills. Having someone listen and guide you with those coping skills is really beneficial. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with online therapists. One of the best things about it is that it's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. I myself have benefited from therapy, and I truly believe that everyone can benefit from the use of a therapist to learn better coping skills, dealing with trauma, self-empowerment, and more. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If the therapist chosen for you doesn't seem like the right fit, no problem. Switch to a new therapist at any time. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lindsay. This is Jackie Gamine. I'm recording my podcast topic on how America has failed us mothers. So starting with uh, the overall topic themes, I can pretty much talk about how every aspect of this pandemic and motherhood has changed um, our lives over the past couple of years. But the biggest themes that have been going on are really career, parenting, and mental health struggles. I had three weeks of paid maternity leave offered when I became a mom. I ended up needing to take 14 weeks. That was the max that I can take. Um, We just had a really rough pregnancy and postpartum period. After I went back to work, I was laid off three weeks later. And when I finally did start working again, I got a really exciting contract with a major Instagram influencer who I absolutely loved, uh, who ended up cutting my contract short after only 10 days because they found out that I had lost my childcare. And it just destroyed me. Um, This was my re-entrance into the working world. It was my first time as a working mom, and I just felt like this is impossible. How am I supposed to do this? And this was honestly just the tip of the iceberg of everything that went down over the past few years, and it's just led me to feel so defeated. And honestly, I'm still struggling today. But a little bit about me. My husband, Mark, and I are high school sweethearts. We just celebrated 15 years together. We got married in 2018. We had our daughter, Grace, in 2020. 
and we had a pretty traumatic pregnancy, even COVID aside. Uh, For some context on what led to such a stressful time, um, this was kind of our timeline over the last nine months of our pregnancy. So January 2020, I found out I was pregnant. I had extreme morning sickness. I could barely get up off the bathroom floor most days. They thought that my pregnancy was stuck in the fallopian tubes and that might not be viable. Um, I had extreme round ligament pain going on. They didn't know what it was at the time. Thankfully, come February, everything started to calm down. Baby was okay. I started feeling better. Around 14 weeks, that's when Mark and I found out that Mark and I were both cystic fibrosis carriers. Um, We are both Delta 508 carriers, and we were told that that was a 1 in 1,800 chance of that happening. So by March, I was pretty much crying hysterically every day. We decided to have an amniocentesis in March. Um, We just had too much anxiety, not knowing if she was healthy or not. So we went forward with that. Uh, We obviously had heard rumblings of COVID, but we were just so consumed with this CF carrier diagnosis that we really weren't paying much attention to the news at that point. I think the shelter-in-place order started March 11th, and we had our amnio on March 24th. I vividly remember walking in, and there was a couple wearing masks and gloves and protective eye gear, and I was just, I was so confused and scared. But in April, we finally got our test results back, and she was healthy. It was an agonizing couple weeks waiting for those tests, but we were just thrilled she was healthy. She didn't have CF. Um, She is a carrier, so that means that just like Mark and I, she has DF-508, but not CF. Uh, A few weeks after that, so mid-April, Mark's company went through pretty massive layoffs. Thankfully, he was just furloughed. We didn't know when he would have a job again, but thankfully, he could at least collect unemployment, and he still got health insurance, so that was a a blessing. Um, And then on April 24th, we got the call that Mark's brother died in a car accident. Obviously, that took a major toll on us mentally and in in all ways, honestly. Um, May 1st, we had the wake. I was six months pregnant. That was the same day that mask mandates went into place in Illinois. And we had to schedule visitation at at the wake in shifts because they were only allowing 10 people inside buildings at a time. I also vividly remember my husband sitting behind his mom and dad at the funeral home. They were just sobbing um, and he would just put his hand on them and and let them know that he was there. That was the only way that he knew to comfort them at the time with COVID and us trying to isolate and stay cautious and stay apart and not hug people. And I I just felt like we were so judged. Um, That was one of the real, that was one of the first moments that the judgment and the criticism really felt heavy in our lives. But no one knew that we had just dodged this major health scare with Grace. Our families actually still don't know that that went down for a variety of reasons. We weren't ready to share really until recently. We haven't talked much about it. It was just very scary and overwhelming for us. They didn't know at the wake that just weeks prior, I was crying hysterically every single day. I was so scared that my child was going to be born with a life-threatening illness also during a global pandemic. Um, They just didn't grasp how stressful our lives had been for the last few months. Uh, So Mark and I were extremely on edge. We were very vulnerable. We were very anxious and we couldn't imagine getting COVID on top of everything else. And we were just being extra cautious. And 
I feel like that was just the beginning of us really being like, okay, no one understands what we're going through and we're kind of alone in this and we kind of kept to ourselves. But fast forward to September, Grace was born September 5th, 2020. I managed to give birth without an epidural, which was a very big goal of mine. I labored in a mask, unmedicated, and got a COVID test between contractions. But Grace was born healthy, and that's all we cared about. Um, I had a pretty significant tear, so that was very rough, but we were just thrilled on cloud nine. I just kept telling myself that we're having such a rough pregnancy because we're getting it all out of the way now, and that we're going to have this amazing postpartum period, and I read every book. I listened to every podcast. We had a detailed, color-coded birth plan. I was like, okay, I went through all of this. I'm getting through all of this. I'm going to be super mom. This is it. This is my time. And for the first 12 days, honestly, the only issue was this really bad tear that I had. Um, Grace was a dream. She was doing great. But on day 13, she was just like a totally different kid and crying nonstop, super fussy. And I just remember sitting in the bath, being in so much pain, sobbing, thinking, okay, the tear will get better. Tomorrow will be better. Grace was just fussy today, but she's fine. She's healthy. Tomorrow will be better. But the next day was worse. And the day after that was worse. Um, So eventually we called her doctor and we just had to beg and plead for them to take her and see her. Because of COVID, they weren't seeing people in person unless it was absolutely necessary. And they were just advising people to go to the ER. And after they finally agreed to see us um, in the office, she spent maybe a few minutes with us, Max. She handed her back to me and she just said, it's colic, good luck. And she walked out before I could even reply. So the next few months after that were just kind of a blur. Grace cried for 12-hour stretches every single day. She would go multiple days in a row without napping. She would sleep one to two hours at a time. Um, Mark and I would just take shifts bouncing her on a yoga ball because that was the only way that she stopped crying. We didn't have help. We were still just so anxious and determined to keep her healthy that we didn't feel like people in our lives were taking our anxiety seriously with COVID or otherwise, and they just weren't really listening to us as parents. We got a lot of, well, we did that. When you were a kid and you were fine, just a lot of comments that made it it feel like judgment. And when you're so sleep deprived and so anxious, comments like that are just so hurtful that even though I know that they were well intended or they didn't really mean much by it, it just made me feel like, okay, I can't trust anyone with my kid. Like it it really has to be me. Um, No one else is, is really listening to my fears or anxieties and they're not giving me what I need. So Mark ended up going back to work um, in October. We eventually hired a postpartum doula that was being COVID cautious. She was recommended to us by a good friend. She listened to all of our instructions, all of our concerns, and she was honestly like a baby whisperer. So we felt very comfortable with her. And she would just give us a few hours a week of sleep and shower and just so we can kind of take a breath and get back in it. Um, I ended up with pretty bad postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage. Uh, pretty quickly, which no one really talks about postpartum rage. I I think I saw the term on um, Carrie Locker's Instagram, and that would like spark to me to be like, okay, this is what's going on. But I was just so angry all the time. And I honestly, I'm still struggling with it. But all of my friends just had these perfect angel babies that just slept. They didn't have stressful pregnancies like I did. Um, I was the one that read all the books. I listened to all the podcasts about birth, about babies every day. 
I walked every day. I did 50 squats a night. I got adjusted by a chiropractor once a week. I ate organic. And I just felt like all of these moms that I saw were just like eating whatever they wanted and napping and not prepping and didn't read a book and didn't have a birth plan. And they just ended up with these super easy babies that just smiled and slept. And that killed me. It absolutely wrecked me. The lack of sleep wrecked me. And again, we just felt super judged. People would say things to us like, maybe your stress is causing Grace to be upset. And it just made me feel so much worse. And it made me retreat and not want to ask anyone for help. The friends that we had who had babies just didn't understand what a colicky baby was or what that even meant. And they would say things like, maybe she needs a diaper change. Maybe she's just hot. And Again, I think that they did have good intentions, but it made us feel super alone and isolated and judged. And I just felt like such a failure. Like everyone else was clearly a better mom or parent than I was. They weren't struggling as bad. Their kids didn't cry all the time. Their babies slept. Like, why couldn't I just figure this out? So after 14 weeks, my FMLA ran out. I had to go back to work. I took 14 weeks off total. Three were paid by my company. That was the only maternity leave they offered. Two was my own PTO that I saved up. Four weeks was paid at 60%, but that was only because I paid into my short-term disability plan. So if I hadn't, I wouldn't have gotten any of that. And then six weeks were completely unpaid. So we couldn't really afford much more of the postpartum doula. She was pretty expensive hourly. And I just hadn't planned on taking this much time off. So we ultimately decided that Mark would quit his job. I would go back to work. I got paid more at the time. I had better benefits. So it just made the most sense for us. So I actually got on the phone with one of the VPs at the company. I explained our situation and they assured me, like, you have a job for at least the next six months, if not a year. The company wasn't in the best standing at the time because of COVID, but the person I talked to just sounded pretty confident, like you would at least have six months to figure it out if God forbid anything happened. So we pulled the plug. I went back to work right around the holidays. Mark quit his job. And then we fully planned on Mark going back to work in a few months, like in the spring. But three weeks after I went back to work, um, so this was mid-January at that point uh, of 2021, my company had pretty big layoffs and I was let go as was every single woman on my team. I believe that the VP that I talked to had good intentions. I, I think that they were just very much kept in the dark. But the company, I, I do kind of think that they waited until I was back from maternity leave to do those layoffs um, because they couldn't let me go when I was under FMLA. Not a total surprise to me that the same company that they only gave women three weeks off after birthing a child then let go of all of the women on my team. They were all almost all moms who became homeschool teachers or had kids running in the background of their Zoom calls because they weren't in school because of COVID shutdowns. But thankfully, COVID unemployment benefits were still so increased. So I basically made the same amount as I would working, but we did lose our health insurance. They stripped us of our health insurance almost immediately. Um, They also gave us no severance. So previous layoffs at the company were mostly men that were let go, and they were offered severance, and they didn't give us anything. So my sister and brother-in-law ended up flying in from L.A. Uh, We had a three-month-old at the time. She cried nonstop. We were just so desperate. So they flew in. They were being as COVID cautious as they could. They stayed with us for about 10 days, and then our parents, again, they were trying to do everything they could, but I think my anxiety just got the best of me, and it wasn't a great situation. They didn't know how to help. 
I felt like they weren't listening to our needs or, or being as cautious as, as we wished. Um, so they did what they could and they, they dropped off food and we just tried, we all tried to do the best that we could. My husband was still very much grieving the loss of his brother and I was not in a good place. And we did everything we could think of to get her to stop crying. We ended up spending close to $3,000 out of pocket on a chiropractor that convinced us that he would solve her colic. And the chiropractor, honestly, it really just didn't seem to be doing much. It took us about two months to get Grace insured through Healthcare Marketplace after I got laid off. So during a global pandemic, I had a newborn that did not have any health insurance. It was insane the amount of hoops that we had to go through just to get our baby insured. Um, we spent about three months with that chiropractor. And eventually, once once we gave up, we saw that it wasn't really helping. We just tried to settle into this new normal. Like, she, she's just a quote-unquote tough kid. She has a harder temperament than most. And we just tried to adjust. Mark still wasn't working. I had started freelancing a little here and there just to get some extra money. But because of my unemployment benefits, I could only make a few hundred a week. Otherwise, the benefits would be drastically reduced, and we relied on that to live at this point. I could not fathom going back to work and working full-time and running on a few hours of sleep at that moment. Um, I was listening to a crying baby all day. I was struggling with postpartum. I was nursing around the clock. I could barely hold it together when I was working those few weeks I went back to work before I got laid off. I would, I would be nursing her on conference calls. I would have to turn off my camera and go on mute and nurse her and try and like take notes with the other hand and then hand her back to my husband. And I just didn't know how I was going to go back to work full time in that situation. But in September of 2021, my unemployment benefits ended completely. Thankfully, Mark ended up getting a job pretty shortly after that, but our income had been decreased by over half for more than a year now, and our expenses obviously went up from having a baby. So I decided to just try and keep freelancing as much as I could so that we could stay afloat financially. And thankfully, around that year, Mark, Grace started regularly napping, so I decided to look for more work and hire a babysitter. Uh, I ended up getting a pretty amazing contract gig with a huge influencer. I was just, I was thrilled. It saved me at the time. It gave me hope, like maybe this will just finally all work out. I was very much still struggling with postpartum anxiety and rage. Looking back, probably a little bit of postpartum depression. And I just thought if I could have something that was my own, that made me feel like myself again, like it would work out. I would feel better. Like I could do it. So about a week into this new gig, we had a babysitter. I hired her specifically to cover my increased hours, and she quit uh, my first week on this job. And I remember the influencer was texting and emailing me about all of these like urgent things to do. My husband was on a conference call in the office, in our home office. My sitter had just bailed on me, so I decided to put my daughter in the bathtub. I would give her some bubbles. I'd let her play around. I brought my laptop in. I sat on the bathroom floor and I thought, just give me 10 minutes to knock out this email. And she didn't. She screamed and cried. My husband ended up having to take his call from the bathroom floor with a crying kid in the tub. So I didn't lose my job. And I ended up coming clean and being honest with them about what happened. They had kids themselves and they had this whole like Instagram persona of being this empathetic mom and knowing the struggle of balancing work and parenting and pandemic life. And I ended up just 
breaking down crying. And I told them that like, I was left without childcare. I'm scrambling to figure this out, but I'll make it work. So on the call, they seemed understanding, but hesitant. And I was kind of surprised. I thought that they would be a little more understanding, especially since I was only contracted like less than part-time. And I told them I would still be able to commit to my hours. I just needed to work at night. I would have to catch up when the baby was asleep. And I said, I'm willing to do anything to make it work. But in a matter of a few days, they just totally changed their tune. They told me that they ended up deciding they needed someone more full-time and they needed them pretty quickly. And if I couldn't find an alternate childcare solution, then they wouldn't be needing me anymore. So they basically forced me to quit because they knew that I wouldn't be able to find childcare in less than a week. They also directed me to a new girl they hired and I was told to not contact them anymore directly. And I was only to communicate with this new person and it just destroyed me. I, I was so upset. I, I'm a hyper achiever, people pleaser to the max. I've never even been disciplined at a job, let alone fired or let go. So that experience just, it, it gutted me. It was so hard. On my last day, the influencer actually didn't even acknowledge my presence. They didn't say goodbye. They didn't say thank you. Even though I had spent weeks without childcare finishing up the contract in this last project they assigned me to, I was working every night until 12, 1 a.m. with a daughter who still didn't sleep through the night, and she was up every morning at 5 a.m. like clockwork. And I think that moment was just like the biggest eye-opener for me on how America is just failing us as moms. And because even moms themselves are doing this to each other to stay alive, like their business and gaining followers and generating money over the matter of a couple of weeks was more important than allowing a struggling mom to find like a backup childcare option. And I knew that I could be so, so good at this. But I think it's just kind of the norm now. It's every man and woman for themselves, and no one is getting the help or compassion or empathy that they need. So how could they allow space within them to offer it to someone else? And it was just really sad, and it wasn't what I expected. Um, It took me a really long time to rebound from that experience to try and find another gig and be mentally prepared to get back in it. It was just, it was really hard. I wish I could say that I've met others. Well, I guess I don't wish I would, but just to feel like I wasn't alone in this. I feel like I didn't really meet a lot of other people in the same position that I was. I I think the hardest part of all of this is just the comparison trap for me and feeling like no one else was in this exact position. I knew moms who had bad maternity leave allowances. I knew moms who had to go back to work because they only because they needed insurance, but no one else had a baby like mine. Who was crying nonstop. No one else I personally knew was also dealing with all of these other compounding life stresses going on. And no one else seemed to have like an extremely stressful pregnancy and postpartum experience. And no one else I knew personally seemed to be struggling as bad that I, as I was. Um, everyone else just seemed to put their kid in daycare and when COVID restrictions were lifted and they went back to work and they took their chances with COVID. They weren't as anxious about it. And their baby slept and napped. And for us, that just didn't seem like an option. And it was really, really hard. I think that ways that America can fix this issue, starting with maternity leave and pregnancy leave policies, if if a woman is so sick that they are dry heaving on the bathroom floor for hours a day, 
why do they have to drag themselves into an office and use up all of their PTO allowances? I mean, I was thankful to have an amazing boss to work from home full time when I was so sick because I don't know how else I would have managed managed to be able to work. I think that three weeks paid maternity leave is insane, but I also know some women get nothing. Um, but a realistic maternity leave, not dependent on company size or different by state where a woman only gets paid if they've been there for a year or longer. I, I just think that all of these provisions and precautions and hoops that you have to run through just to get paid maternity leave is is kind of crazy. Um, I was in a different state than my company headquarters uh, was since my team was all remote. It was a smaller company. They didn't have a lot of those rules around paid leave that they had to apply to all of these employees. But I think another thing that would help is if expecting a new moms had resources that explained to them what their maternity leave options were and how they could make it work so that they could stay home with their newborn and what they needed in terms of short-term disability and FMLA. And I've just heard from so many moms that have had a baby in the last couple of years how confusing all of it was um, and how their HR wasn't much help because everyone's situations are different and how they're on the phone with either government reps trying to figure out state funding or with their insurance companies or with their doctor's offices because they had to sign off to get them to take leave and just all of these hoops just to being able to stay home with their baby and, and, and survive. I think another solution that America needs to lean into is, is insurance. Affordability, accessibility. There are just so many people stuck in horrible, toxic, low-paying, stressful jobs because they need health insurance. And we were so thankful that when when I got laid off and I lost my insurance, when we finally did get Grace insured through Healthcare Marketplace, it was only a few hundred dollars a month. And the coverage was actually pretty good, but that was only because it was during peak COVID times. The cost of insurance was greatly reduced. And right now, if we were to do that, it would be over $1,000 a month just to insure all of us. Um, and it probably wouldn't be very good coverage. We also walked away with around $4,000 out of pocket hospital bills just from delivery. And that was after insurance. And it was when I was still employed. So it was good insurance at the time. And I couldn't even imagine paying that without insurance or bad insurance. I also think just making mental health resources more affordable and available. I am two years postpartum and I, I feel like I'm still struggling and I just don't really know what to do anymore. I I need time to research therapists and network. I need to confirm if they're accepting new patients and schedule the appointment around naps and babysitters and work. And that's just so I can have an hour to talk to someone. The few times that I did make some therapy appointments when things were really bad, I took them from a Starbucks parking lot down the street because my therapist wasn't seeing people in person because of COVID and I couldn't take a phone call at home without having a screaming kid in the background. So just some closing thoughts to add. If anyone is struggling with a colicky baby, I see you. I am here to be the validation for you that I wish I had when I was a new mom. It is not your fault. It is not your fault that your baby's crying all the time. It is not your fault that your baby is not sleeping. I met a mom at the park a few months ago who I didn't even know. We just struck up a conversation and she said to me, moms with colicky babies are getting a special place in heaven. And I didn't even know this woman. And 
for that, that for some reason felt better than anything that any of my own family or friends has said to me, like, this is hard as hell and it's not you failing and it's just crazy hard. You're doing so amazing by just being there. And I think looking back, the biggest thing I wish I would have done differently during those early months is instead of trying to fix my kid, although I'm proud that I was her advocate and I was strong and I stood up and I I crossed off every box to make sure that she was okay. I think just being there for her as a mom and comforting her might have been better for all of us in the long run. I had so many people in my head telling me that it was my breast milk, even though I did all of these crazy diet changes. I was relentlessly Googling formula options that she wouldn't even take. We had her allergy tested. People telling me that she looked like she was in pain when she cried and she was uncomfortable, which just made my anxiety skyrocket. So we got her adjusted. We tried probiotics. We had her tongue and lip tie lasered. We did water therapy, skin to skin. None of it helped because there wasn't anything to fix. She wasn't broken. She isn't broken. She is a perfectly made, beautiful little girl. And she is just a more highly sensitive kiddo who just feels very deeply. And she knows what she wants. And she's more aware of her surroundings. And she wasn't able to communicate it to us. But when she's older, she is going to be an amazing, strong woman. And if you are supporting a mom with a colicky baby, or if you know a mom that's struggling with postpartum, just holding space for them and meeting them exactly where they are without judgment. Until you've been there, and even if you have been there yourself, everyone's journey is just so different. And just being a source of validation and comfort instead of adding to their self-doubt is probably what the mom needs. For me, I know this would have looked more like checking in with me, being very specific with what you could help me with. I know that I was pretty paralyzed when people would say, well, what do you need? And why aren't you asking for help? And I was just so overwhelmed that I didn't even know what I could ask for help to make it better. So instead of like the general, what can I do? Or maybe you you say, hey, I'm making a big batch of muffins tomorrow. Can you guys use an easy snack this week. Can I, I'll drop them off tomorrow. Just being specific with what you think might help. And if someone's open enough to tell you what they need, respect that. When we did ask for help, we felt like we got met with a lot of criticism. Like, well, that's not what I would do, or that's not what we did with our kids, or I did it with you and you were fine. And stuff like that was just very triggering for me. And it felt like I was finally able to ask for help. I was finally getting out of this fog a little bit and people were just very dismissive of my needs and it ended up making my anxiety so much worse. I felt like I just couldn't trust anyone to actually help when I needed them because no one was respecting our parenting choices or or holding room for my anxiety or without judgment. So respecting parenting choices, not judging their choices and just listening and being supportive. So even though you might not understand why they're doing certain things or they might be doing it differently than you would, just knowing that they're doing the best they can with an insane amount of anxiety and stress. And maybe what they're doing is what they need to save their sanity in that moment. So a few amazing resources that have helped me. There's a woman named Natalie on Instagram, highly sensitive family on Instagram. She has amazing content. If you have a little one that she's just seems a little more extra than others, I don't love the word sensitive. I feel like it has a negative connotation, but until I find a different word, 
I know I'm trying to raise my daughter to embrace the word, embrace herself. It's going to be her superpower. She is incredibly sweet and aware and brilliant and funny and strong. And being sensitive comes with that. And it comes with being empathetic and caring and thoughtful and intuitive. And I think that's more of what the world needs right now. Sensitive isn't a bad thing. It's a gift that needs to be encouraged and nurtured and something that you should be proud of. And I wish that when I was growing up, instead of being told that I was sensitive and making me feel bad or being embarrassed, it was it was embraced. Another resource that I have to remind myself of is Postpartum International. If you're really struggling, they have emergency hotlines and resources, um, symptom checklists, and how to talk to your doctor about it. And then if anyone is so inclined or wondering or, or wants another charity to get behind, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, they're at cff.org. They have just made leaps and bounds in the, the treatment offered to people with CF. If you have anything to donate, if you're looking for a new charity to get behind, check them out. And you can always just learn more about CF and ways to get involved. So I think that's it. Thank you, Lindsay, for this opportunity. I am It was cathartic and therapeutic to finally share my story. I feel like I haven't talked about it. And I know that there's so much more that can be done and will be done. And I am trying to be hopeful for the future. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.